The following is a production of differentbrains.com. I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. And today, right here in our studio, we have a real live neuroscientist from Nova Southeastern University. He does a bunch of research on things I can't even pronounce. But you're going to hear what a real neuroscientist is doing exploring different brains. Dr. Malav Trevetti from Nova Southeastern University, welcome. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Now, look, I want to get right to the quick. I want to know about these things I can't pronounce, like uh, epigenetic-based gene expressions and things like that. Tell me, what is it you do over there? Uh, let's get right into it. Epigenetics um, is an epiphenomena which happens on top of your DNA. So people say like, you know, your genetics is altered, your genes are changing, your DNA is changing. Well, what really changes is what controls that DNA. So if there are environmental factors that control your DNA, that can control how that DNA is being silenced or the how that DNA is being expressed. We start with a single cell. Every single living being, human being starts with a single cell. And that single cell develops into a brain cell, that single cell develops into a kidney cell, that single cell develops into a liver cell. But all those cells have the same DNA component. Okay, now let me stop you there. So DNA, the old Watson Crick, they control everything, they're your heritage, they're your genes and everything. Yes. So you're talking about... Something that controls that. Bingo. Yes. And we call that? Epigenetics. Malav Trevetti is telling you the thing that controls the DNA, that's controlling everything. So you went right to the top in a way. Right, exactly at the top of what controls the DNA. And so if you think of DNA as a string, the things that make the string being expressed or silenced in one cell versus the other, because your neuronal cell doesn't need the same stuff or cargo as your liver cell or your kidney cell because they function differently. Your brain cells make memories. Your kidney cells filter things. So they differ from each other. And that is controlled by what controls the DNA or by epigenetic changes. And that's what we study in our lab, especially in the brain, as to how the environmental factors like stress, like diet, like nutrition, like exercise, or the chemicals the pollutants, how that affect the epigenetic changes, and that makes one neuron susceptible to all these stressors or environmental components. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that exercise, diet, cutting down on your stress, is not only good for your whole body, good for your health, it's good for your brain. And now we're hearing from Dr. Malav Trevetti of Nova Southeastern University why that is because of what's controlling the very DNA that runs all of your different kinds of cells. Keep going. I'll be your interpreter because I don't know if our audience is as smart as you or as dumb as me, so I'll kind of interpret a little. So, so the string 
of DNA is bound to proteins. Think of them as spools for your DNA. Those are called as histones. And so those spools control whether the DNA is unwound or the DNA is tightly wound. And based on whether the DNA is tightly wound on the spools or loosely wound, that can affect the gene expression. So those decorating marks like methyl groups, CH3, methyl groups on the DNA, control whether the DNA is loosely wound or tightly wound. And that can affect the gene expression and that can affect whether it will be a neuronal cell or whether it will be a kidney cell. And it has to do with how tightly wound up and bound they are. Yes, exactly. And so those marks, those decorating marks on the DNA, the methyl groups, are affected by environmental pollutants, are affected by stress, are affected by pesticides, insecticides, uh, organic compounds. And they can also be regulated by proper diet, proper nutrition, proper metabolism, and uh, exercise. So what we study in the lab is in different neurodevelopmental diseases or neurodegenerative diseases, how these marks are affected first so we can do a diagnostic purpose and then what can we do to intervene into these marks for a therapeutic approach or for a treatment approach. Explain to our audience the concept of CCR and what it really is. Uh, with with um, the blessings of the board of member of NOAA Southeastern University, uh, we have had a state-of-art Center for Collaborative Research, which stands for CCR. It is an $80 million, 125,000 square feet of research space available for researchers to conduct state-of-art research with all the innovative tools and technologies uh, to apply them to basic science, to applied science, and we also have an in-house clinic where we can start seeing patients and conduct human clinical studies to try and understand the disease pathobiology as well as start treatment approaches and treatment therapeutic purposes. So CCR stands for Center for Collaborative Research, where we have researchers from all across uh, disease spectrum. So we have people who study neuroimmune diseases, people who study chronic fatigue syndrome, people who study autism, people who study on Alzheimer's, cancer, um, and we also have people who are studying stem cell research to try and come up with therapeutic approaches using stem cells for uh, neuroregeneration or for uh, immunotherapy purposes uh, in, the, in, the, in the center. So we have people from all different spectrums of uh, science from different diseases and trying to understand and trying to treat those diseases. In the Center for Collaborative Research, is that is also hooked up globally with other centers? Yes, it's, it's good that you mentioned that. So in the Center for Collaborative Research, we have about five or six different uh, faculty members from Karolinska Institute, uh, which is in Sweden, uh, Stockholm. And that is the place where the, the, the Nobel Prize is given, or, or the committee is, is formed from that uh, institute. And uh, we have been really lucky to have some of those uh, faculty members from Karolinska Institute to set up their shop or to set up their labs at the CCR where they collaborate with us, uh, the researchers who are based here, and we have faculty exchange programs, we have student exchange programs and research 
exchange exchanges where we collaborate with them they collaborate with us over here so we have knowledge based globally not just localized to Fort Lauderdale and this is a nice segue to introduce what is the relationship between the CCR the Center for Collaborative Research our mutual friend the great Dr. Tom Temple and TRED translational research and economic development there. How do they all connect? So this was Dr. Uh, Tom Temple and President uh, Henbury's uh, vision for bringing together uh, not just basic researchers or basic scientists who study uh, cells or who, who study organelles in the cell, but to apply those kind of things translationally to try and treat diseases. So what I mean by that is what I do in the lab on a day-to-day -day basis, how does that affect or how does that cure a disease in a patient tomorrow or day after tomorrow? And that's the vision which Dr. Tom, Tom Temple brought into uh, NOAA Southeastern University when he joined as a VP of research. And he formed this institute called STRED, or Translational Research and Economic Development, to translate the research that we do in the lab into therapies for tomorrow for different diseases. And the, the place where this research is being conducted is at the CCR. So CCR is the, is the hub of the research for NSU. And TRED is, is the, the, uh, the machine that translates that research into therapies for tomorrow. And on a larger sense, the visionaries at Nova Southeastern University George Hanbury, the president, and the senior vice president, Dr. Tom Temple, who has a very illustrious history with the University of Miami, and like myself, is an orthopedic surgeon by birth. <laughs> um, but certainly their vision is being fulfilled there. And now we see what's been missing uh, through in up till recent times is that link between the research, translating it, and to getting something done so that it goes from the concept to the reality to the marketplace. It is, it is exactly the, the, the bench side to the bedside concept. Like, you know, what I do on the lab bench, it translates into bedside therapies for, for patients. So that's what the vision that Dr. Dr. Temple is fulfilling right now at NSU. How did you get into this? Uh, it's, it's a long story, but um, I'm a pharmacist by training, and um, I, I did not want to be just uh, a mediator or, or, or a manager of diseases, like, you know, at, at, the, at the bedside, like, you know, just giving them medication or dispensing medication. So um, I really wanted to understand the pathology of the diseases and understanding what happens at the right the trigger of the disease or what causes that disease. And that's what led me to understand and take masters for pharmacology or pharmaceutical sciences uh, after finishing my pharmacy degree. So I went into masters and then I, I did a doctoral degree as well in pharmacology, trying to understand the mechanism behind diseases rather than just uh, directly dispensing drugs. So I, when during my, my doctoral thesis, I, I got to understand the neurodevelopmental diseases like autism, 
and, and, the, and, the, and the pathology of autism. Uh, and that's what really fascinated me to undertake my research going forward. Especially while I was doing my, my doctoral research, I found out that the rates of autism were still skyrocketing. When I started my, my PhD, the, the rates of autism were about 1 in 120. So every one kid in 120 kids was getting diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. By the time I completed my doctoral research, the, the rates were about 1 in 44, which was a span of four or five years. And so I took it upon myself to try and understand as to what explains this, or why is it that in five or six years, the rates have gone so higher. And that's what I'm pursuing going forward as in terms of understanding the, the neurological basis for neurodevelopmental as well as in parallel neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's. And what year were you born? 1986. Okay, so in 1985, talking about how things have changed, along with the autism rate, not just autism, it's anything you want to keep track of with brain wiring, PTSD, depression, anxiety, stress, Alzheimer's is certainly skyrocketing. I mean, from autism to Alzheimer's and everything in between. What's changing? Is it the DNA? Is it the epigenetic? Is it the food stimuli? Is it the environment? Is it the exercise? Is it all of the above? So why don't you comment on putting it in the context of the changes you've seen in neurodiversity, not just autism too, and how you see the whole big picture from your unique scientific point of view. It's, it's really uh, interesting that you mentioned that if you, if you think about it, um, the, the role of diet and the portion sizes of diet as well as nutrition uh, along with the environmental factors, all of the above have changed from 1985 to 2015 or 2017 now. Um, if you think about it from a scientific perspective, the more the bad thing increases, at the same time to maintain the status quo, you need to increase the good things as well. So what I mean by that is the more the environmental pollutants, the more the insecticides, the more the pesticides, the life stress, increases. At the same time, we have to maintain our nutrition. We have to maintain our diet. We have to maintain our exercises, which has not happened. And so what's going on is the, the, the fire is going up and the level of fire extinguisher is going down. What I mean by that is if you think about in metabolic perspectives, our need, our demand for the energy is going high but we have really less and less and less capacity to combat with that energy demands, high energy demands. In terms of scientific perspectives, what I mean by that energy demand is in terms of antioxidants. When you, when you are stressed, when you are exposed to insecticides or pesticides or environmental pollutants, you generate oxidative stress in your body. What I mean by oxidative stress is high levels of reactive oxygen species or chemical toxicants in your body. To combat that fire, you need high levels of antioxidants like your blueberries, red berries, or vitamin Cs, vitamin Es. 
one of the most or maybe the most antioxidant important antioxidant in your body is something called as glutathione gsh and the levels of that gsh in your brains are the least of the whole body so here you have high levels of oxidative stress in your brain and you have the least quantity of antioxidant in your brain to combat that so any minor changes in that antioxidant level directly affects the activity of your brain directly affects the the neuronal firing and the wiring in your brain making it more prone or more vulnerable to effects or the neurodiverse effects from a normal development what a great explanation and if we think of it the brain I don't know, weighs about 10 pounds or something, whatever it is. Two pounds. Two pounds, not 10. Two pounds uses up what percentage of energy in the whole body? 20%. 20%. So your little two-pound brain you got up here is using up 20% of the whole energy. We are in an energy crisis, as you just heard from Dr. Malav Trivedi of Nova Southeastern University. And so we have got to use good fuel, and then metabolize that fuel with good exercise, and then affect all the, to use a highly scientific term, stuff he's talking about that controls our DNA and everything else so we can live happily ever after. It is, it is um, a lot about healthy aging and healthy living as compared to um, being prone to diseases or, or prone to like, you know, the effects of the chemical environmental effects. So, uh, and that's what we, we study in the lab right now on how those chemical toxicants or chemical environmental factors can impinge on your brain and lead to altered neurodevelopmental trajectory if we intervene at initial stages as early as possible, ASAP, then you can try and negate or at least lessen the effects that those compounds or, or predisposition will have. And just for the purposes of this interview, let's specify some of the other neurodiverse entities you're speaking about that it's the same same basic deal with. Let's just name some for our audience. So I, I just talked about the healthy aging. And so uh, it's, it's really interesting that at different stages of your life, if you have altered antioxidant or altered epigenetic changes, we have, and others have also shown this, that it can contribute towards different neurological diseases or neurodiverse uh, phenotype. So if it's early on, it is something neurodevelopmental or neurodiverse uh, patterns like autism, ADHD, Asperger's, if it's 18 to 25 or 18 to 30, that can contribute towards schizophrenia. Then if you are lucky enough and if you skip that, then starting 40 to 60 is when you have genetic predisposition towards Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and then 60 to 80 is neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's diseases. So across the lifespan, depending on how vulnerable, based on your genetics, based on your environment, how vulnerable you are, to having a neurodiverse patterns can contribute towards different neurological 
manifestations. So starting right at neurodevelopmental all the way towards neurodegenerative. And so we study in our, in our lab uh, at the CCR, we study right early on autism spectrum disorder. And we find that in kids with autism and ADHD, they have accelerated aging, same as what people will have at 60 or 80 years of age. And so they have skewed the developmental trajectory right then and there, which is really, really interesting because if you think about them, if you think about their, their mind or their, their, their brains, they are still learning the language. They are still learning the social, social skills. They are still learning the vocabulary and they are already like, you know, their brains are already like here at the 60 to 80 years of age. So they have accelerated aging right then and there, especially their brain. And that's why we at Different Brains are trying to get everybody under one roof and to push that concept. It's about all of these entities and all of our brains. But you bring up an interesting point. The silos they are all in now by entity are actually, if you're going to have silos, which we shouldn't have, but if we're going to have them, they should be lumped by age. It shouldn't be the intellectual disabilities are here and the neurological here and the mental health psychiatric here. No, they're all, it all depends how old you are and what your epigenetic background is. All your, all your metabolism in the brain is. And so it's metabolic and epigenetic combined together because what we have found in the lab is that metabolic uh, phenotype also controls your epigenetics. So that antioxidant levels can directly control your epigenetic status as well. And so, yes, you bring up a really good point about like, you know, not putting people in the silos based on just a mental health or intellectual disability, but putting them in terms of their physiological phenotype as to what's going on inside their brains and understanding the, the physiological manifestations so that you can treat them. Just because a, a medication is available for schizophrenia or, or Parkinson's doesn't mean that it might not be applicable to kids with autism. If you start understanding the physiology of it, then you might be able to treat them with different combination and permutations of not only drugs, but also nutrition. If someone wants to know more about what you're doing, uh, how do they find out? Uh, so I, I do have um, a faculty profile at NOAA Southeastern University, but I'm, I'm more than happy to connect with them. Uh, my information, you have my information, and uh, you can always direct them towards me. Uh, and I'm, I'm located at the CCR, so I'll be happy to show them the, the research facilities that we have, as well as like you know showcase some of the research that we do at, at the CCR at, at NSU. Um, so I'm more than happy to connect with them and, and guide them in whatever questions they have. Dr. Malev Trivedi, it's been a pleasure having you with us today on Exploring Different Brains. And uh, we look forward to having you back because we haven't quite finished our conversations. Thank you so much for everything you're doing. Thank you for having me. I'll be happy to be back. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.com.